we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, where we will be picking back up on verse 8, where we left off last week, if you remember, if you were with us here. I'm going to read these verses so you can follow along, and then we will talk about them verse by verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says here, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with a propriety in moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and with self control. Father, again, we thank you and praise you as we open up your word this morning, Lord, and and we ponder on, we meditate on, but more importantly, we study your word, Lord, and we only are taught by you, Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, move right now as you teach our hearts. Let us have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord, and may we have no distractions or anything that would cause uh, us to, to hinder us from hearing you speak to our hearts this morning. And we lift this all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You know, one of the <laughs> fun parts of uh, teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is I do all the whole counsel of God. So I can't pick over the easy topics like today, okay? For some of you, you heard those words taught and you're like, your hair started standing on the back of your neck on some of you men, no, probably some of you ladies in some respect. But let me reassure you, this is the word of God and that the word of God is true then and still true today. But let us tell verse by verse to go through it to bring some clarity because there's a lot of false teaching, bad teaching out there, especially around these verses that causes some challenges, I assure you, for, uh, for you women. Because it's important for you to understand what God has intended here for all of us to learn. Now, if you were with us last week, we took the first seven verses. And the first seven verses was all about that great importance in the role of prayer. And prayer, in again, the context of the scripture here is prayer and the time of public worship as we are here today as a congregation forming and coming together and assembling. And, and when we have uh, public or uh, congregational meetings as we gather together, like ladies' studies or men's studies or prayer meetings or whatever it may be, as we come together, how is, are we to, uh, our conduct and how are we to, to, to live our lives in here as a body of believers? Now keep in mind, Paul is writing this letter to these believers in Ephesus because there was some chaos going on in the church. False teachers were coming in and causing confusion and causing some problems. There was a change here because the gospel has freed women uh, in their role as a woman in society. And the Christianity has brought women from being in the Roman world as being of no value or low value or low position in society. And Christianity has lifted now these women up into position of equal equality with men in this culture as a Christian woman. Woman. And because of that newfound freedom, there were some challenges of now how do women work within society when society is saying, the Roman society at that time still was saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be acting like this. So Paul had to bring clarity here. So as hang on, ladies, hang on there with us. And men, especially for you, because you need to understand your role and responsibilities as well. 
So today we take the second part of this public worship in the church and we're going to look at church authority. And in chapter 3, Lord willing, next week, we're actually going to talk about the leadership within the church authority. But right now we're only going to take a part of the, the, what Paul is trying to bring as a foundation or format of understanding to the readers of those believers today. And the Holy Spirit is asking us also to have a foundation of understanding as well. And Paul starts here in verse 8 saying, I desire, therefore, I desire after talking about the fact that prayer is so important within the church body as we assemble together, we must pray together. That's what keeps unity within a church body is the prayer with one another and for one another. Now, we see that Paul says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. And that doesn't mean everywhere as in um, Every place they're in. I mean, that's okay, we walk into the, you know, the foyer, we pray. And we walk into the bathrooms, we pray. We walk over here into the foyer, we pray. No, what it means here in this language is that Paul is saying, I desire in every congregational meeting, every time you meet together, men should be leading in prayer in this church authority position that they find themselves in. That everywhere, men are to pray everywhere, and they're supposed to be, and look at the qualifications or how they're to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So those are the qualifications as men of the leadership or church authority as they gather the people together to, to, to fellowship and bring the people together in these assemblies, these meetings. Men are, Paul is saying, an expectation and God's expectation of men in that church are to lead them in prayer. Not just occasional, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. Have a great day. We'll talk and pray for you later. But no, we must be praying for the people as they gather together here in God's name. Now, this has this idea, right? In every church, Paul is saying, not every place, but every church, we should be seeing a point where people are praying for one another. Now, we know in the scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4 and 5, both men and women prayed in the early church. So it's not saying that women don't pray. It's just that he's talking about the church authority and the leadership of that church. Men should be leaders. They're to lead in the congregational as they're gathering together to pray congregationally but also pray for one another but women and men both prayed but the emphasis here is men being the leaders in the church and is so common in every church where it is so easy and so natural it seems like for women to gather together in prayer meetings they're always saying, we should get together and pray. We need to pray. Why? Because probably women have the hardest job of life and they need much prayer because they realize they need to stick together to help one another, right? But how difficult it is for men to gather together to pray. That is the hardest thing for men. To ask men to gather together for a prayer meeting, quietness will come across. No one will show. It should not be like that. But if you say you have food and bacon is cooking, They'll be there for the bacon. But ladies, it's let's pray. And oh, by the way, let's have tea and all these other little goodies with us while we have it. So it's almost like the food is always a second thought. I don't know why, but the guys always have food the first thought. But that shouldn't be, should it not? Prayer should be the first thing. The spiritual, not the flesh. But that's the challenge, and I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's setting expectations for this church in Ephesus and for us today. Men, you should be men of prayer, and you should be showing up to pray and be wanting to pray and to gather together and a desire to pray, and you should not be silent. And you should be praying with the people as people gather together. And that's what Paul is trying to understand or get the understanding across because understand, if the men do not pray, and I've seen it in the ministry. If men do not pray and desire to pray as they gather together for men's meetings, for the Bible studies, or for gathering together as a church, then the local church will not have dedicated leaders of men to oversee the ministry until they're, they finally spiritually mature. Churches die out. Why? I believe because there's no spiritual dedicated men to prayer. That's why churches die out. And you see it over and over. And this is not a knock at all to you ladies at all. Why? Because you ladies always will step up and fill in the void when there is no godly man involved. Why? Because God is going to raise you up to do the work. 
If men don't stand up, women will stand up. And Paul is saying to them, men, you've got to get a backbone, man. Stand up. You need to be praying for one another. You need to be praying when you get together. You must have a desire, not because you have to do it. We come together because we get the desire to do it. We don't serve God because we have to. We get to serve God because we desire to do it. Look what God has done for us. He has set us free and forgiven us of our sins. The least we can do is have the communication and a relationship with God and desire to pray for one another and and pray for uh, them to also have that beautiful uh, one-on-one relationship with God. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're going to be worshiping together as believers for eternity. Why would we not commune with our Heavenly Father together now? Do you see his point? Do you hear my point? We must have a desire to pray for one another as we gather together. Also understand, many prayer uh, postures are found in the Bible. So don't grab this one scripture and say, when you pray, you must always be lifting up your hands. That's not what Paul is saying here. We know in the scripture, we take the scripture's totality, we see standing and outstretched hands in 1 Kings 8.22. We see people praying by kneeling. We go back and look at Daniel Daniel 6.10. You can see people praying as they're just standing. They're they're praying, Luke 18.11. You can see people sitting and praying. We see that in 2 Samuel 7.18. We see people bowing the head. We see that reference in Genesis 24, 26, right from the very beginning. Lifting up the eyes. We see that as a form of of a posture of prayer. We see that in John 17, 1. And we also see in Genesis 17, 3, which is right from the very beginning, people dropping right there on their face on the ground. So, I I take that time to to make all of those mentions. Why? Because remember, the important thing is not the posture of your body when you pray. It's the posture of your heart when you pray. Make sure you do not take the posture of prayer and make it become legalistic and say you must pray only a certain way and that's the only way you feel spiritual because what will happen is you become legalistic and then you will also find yourself becoming very very, very much a spiritual pride setting into your life. So be very careful when you say, oh, I only pray when I look up. Or I only pray because you're not lifting your hand. Be very careful not to get caught up into religion. It's the posture of the heart, not of the body. Paul states some very key essentials here in effective prayer. And the foundation is that, that the men pray. Not only men, but women should pray. But here he's emphasis on the men because Paul makes it very simply and clear expectations that you men who are going to lead this congregation here in Ephesus must set the example and it starts with prayer in the assembling of the congregation. And then when you do that, men, there's two things you need to be aware of. Make sure you do not, you can lift up your holy hands. Why? Because holy hands represents the fact that you are not hiding anything of sin or anything that would go contrary to pleasing God. That's what lifting hands up. It's It's a symbol of living a holy life or a blameless life, Lord. Search me, O Lord. If you find any wicked way in me, please let me know so I can confess it and and turn from that wicked way now. That's what that means. I want nothing hidden. I don't want to sit there and have secret agendas in my prayer. I'm going to pray about this and because I have an agenda because I want something else to happen. That should never happen in your prayers. So we have this, these lifted up hands because they're clean hands. They're symbolic. We see that of a blameless life. And you go back to 2 Samuel 22, verse 21 to see that. And also Psalm 24, 4, if you want a reference of why that is what that means. But we're not to have, when we're praying, we need to come with not an agenda of anything for self or for evil intentions but to have a holy living life. We also see that he's not only lifting up hands saying, I'm blameless, I have nothing to hide here, I'm coming to you, just completely wide open, Lord. 
But he also says here that you are not to what? Have any wrath or anger or doubting in your prayers. So we see the two more essentials here when it comes to prayer. Our prayers must be without wrath or praying. Uh, you should not be praying anger prayers. Do you get with me? So you're sitting there praying and you're just angry at someone and you're just lashing out at them or angry about whatever it may be. That is not God's As you assemble together as a body of believers such as we are today, the people who are going to pray should not be praying angrily in their prayers. The second thing we find, because why does that happen with wrath is because people have a tendency to use a prayer as some religious way of trying to get across their anger to someone else. And that should not happen. It's a troublemaker. Someone who sits there and prays in a public setting like we are today and they are prayer, praying angrily, they're doing that with an agenda. Why? Because they want to get across to those under the, the veneer of of religiosity, it's okay to, to lash out against someone else or cause trouble within the congregation, and that should not happen. The second thing is doubting. In the original language there, doubting or meaning praying without faith, but it also refers to disputing. So you should not be praying not only in anger and causing trouble in that in regards to the, the assembly of people, but doubting suggests that we must be praying in faith. And yes, the word doubting means disputing. So when we have an anger in our heart, we often open, have open disagreements with other people. And so people are very subtle. Lord, you know how difficult it is to be around these people. And I pray that they would just change their hearts because they're just not right. And, and you know how it is. They're going against me, Lord. You know I want, you told me we're going to do this in the church. And now, and is that going to happen? Because these people, blah, 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 won't let me have it. You know, these things should not happen because it causes dissension within the public prayer setting. You have a problem. You go talk to the Lord about it in your own closet. And if you have a challenge with someone, the scripture says you go one-to-one -one with that person and talk that out civilly. That's how you deal with it within the church, not through prayer. Obviously, Paul had to address this because this was happening in the Ephesian church. So he had to write a letter to say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works, guys. You don't do that. Not as leaders. You don't do that in this church. So we see here that we have, you know, very important to understand these essentials in and having effective prayer within the prayer meetings within a church. Christians should learn to disagree without being disagreeable. You must learn that. Remember, we should do all things without complaining and disputing, Philippians 2.14 says. And I know you're saying that is very difficult. I know, but you'll mature. You'll spiritually mature. And as you continue to show up, regardless of how you feel, you will get over these emotions and feelings that causes you to complain and dispute, repent of those things. And what happens is as you mature spiritually, those things will go away and it will turn more to joy and praise of God and, and lifting other people up in prayer. But effective prayer demands that I be in the right relationship with God, holy hands, and also with my fellow believers without complaining and grumbling and disputing. And Jesus even mentioned that in, uh, about the fact that with the right mindset, the right heart when it comes to prayer in Mark 11, verse 23 through 26. Now in verse 9 and 10 here, we see he moves on and focuses on women and emphasizing the spiritual preparation or the spiritual beauty of the inner person more than the physical of what the woman looks like when it comes to gathering together in public forms of meetings or assemblies as a congregation. And he says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, 
in verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, I know this is going to be, I will try to keep it as simple and easy for us all to understand what Paul's point is here. Because the word also, in like manner, also refers to the statement that he just said about men praying everywhere. In the congregation, you, every time you gather together, you should be praying for one another. Ladies, any time come, you come together, also, like manner, this applies not just to one place, but all the churches, all congregations, as you, all the meetings you gather together. Just make sure as you gather together, it's not about your outward look coming to church. It is about your inner look. It's what God is doing in your heart. That's what's most important. Why? Because if you remember, Ephesus was a very wealthy commercial community. And people find themselves, when they have in a position, trying to outdo themselves in how they dress. And to try to do one up on another person because they have nicer dress or have money or whatever it may be. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. You're not to be on display. You're not to be in competition with other women and how you look. That is not the importance. The importance is the inner. It's the how you love with one another. That is what's most important. So don't let that consume you when it comes to gathering together at church. The word translated for modest here simply means means decent and orderly. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Dress modestly. Just make sure it's decent and orderly. That's what he's referring to. It doesn't have to be lavish. Paul says that Christian women are supposed to dress, especially at their these Christian meetings, with this, and he qualifies this modest apparel a little bit more here in propriety and moderation. And he goes a little bit more about, you know, watch out what you're doing with your hair or your gold and pearls and costly clothing to bring attention to yourself. But what does that word propriety mean? It means asking this question each time you're gathering together with, um, in the assembly. Ask the question, is it appropriate for the occasion? Am I overdressing for the occasion or am I underdressing for the occasion? It's going to call inappropriate attention to myself. These are the questions that Paul is saying to these ladies as they have this new freedom to be able to, to worship with men side by side in the congregations there in Ephesus. Remember, that used to not be the case. They weren't involved to the same level in the time of worship. And as a Christian, now they're able to be part of it. Now they're dealing with how do they work with this. And moderation asks this question. Is it moderate? Is it too much? Or far too little? Moderation means middle of the ground. Appropriate, as we see here as well in verse 10. That is it proper? Is it, is, it, is it in a way that will bring attention to myself or bring no attention, but it is, it is proper for the, of the occasion? Now, if you come in here and you've got the big hat and you've got you know, studs all over the, the, the beautiful suit ladies because you just got that, if it's a wedding, you're right on track. You're right on track. But if you're out there, and I, I'm just using this as an because no one's wearing hats here. So, <laughs> so that is, it's, it's, it's easier for me to get. But sometimes people could come in with really big hats. If you've ever been to some congregations. And the bigger the hat, they just, and they always sit up front. And they, it's, again, again, we don't want to draw attention to yourself. It's not about wearing a hat or not wearing a hat. It's just, just in this case... It, he's warning them about the intricate braided hair because in those days, braiding your hair was very costly. Wearing expensive clothes was a, it was, draws attention because a lot of people didn't have that kind of money, obviously, or golds and pearls. And again, ladies, if you're wearing pearls, don't condemn anyone wearing pearls, all right? Because it's not about the jewelry. He didn't say you can't dress up. It doesn't say you can't do these things. He's just saying, make sure it's an inner thing, an inner heart thing that you're looking at, not an outward in drawing attention to yourself. So Paul, again, did not forbid the nice clothing or jewelry. He just urged a balanced approach and go against the culture that is no longer modest or proper. How many times raising two girls 
how over the years, how difficult it was for them to go shopping with mom and find something that was modest and a proper for a young lady today. I, 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 I only hear it through the, the mouths of the women around me. <laughs> I don't struggle with that, obviously, in regards to what to wear. But it's hard to shop these days. Right, ladies? Did I get an amen? Because is that a true? Right? So it's a struggle. I understand that. But Paul is saying here, don't put a whole lot of um, emphasis on the outward. Just make sure it's proper and modest. Right? But here, notice this. He adds one more, and I think it's so important in the conversation, verse 10, which is proper for women professing godliness and good works. Because if the lady is not godly, she's not born again, not saved, then she's going to wear what the culture wears, what society dictates, what she's been manipulated to wear. Because it sets some kind of, she wants to fit in with the rest of society. Of course, someone who's ungodly is going to dress the way they are. And we have patience. We have, someone who's brand new comes in and just gets saved, they're not going to go buy some new wardrobe. But over time, as God works in their heart and by his grace and his mercy, all of a sudden they finally realize, you know, that's just not appropriate for me to wear that anymore. All of a sudden, God just does a work and so gentle and loving and kind. We don't have to tell people, unless someone walks into this church with something really vulgar, I'm not going to kick him out of the church. I'm going to say, do you mind if we give you another shirt, a shirt to put over that? Because that's really very offensive in regards to what you're wearing. We'll be kind. We'll be gentle with that. But God does a work in the ladies' hearts. And I, we just allow God to do the work. We don't have police, women police walking around telling you what to wear and how to wear. That's, that's, that, that is not godly. That is not, that's very legalistic. And we don't touch that. But Paul says, we, ladies, just be careful because what's important, what I want you to wear, what I want you to, 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 to understand is that women professing godliness with good works is the best, best outfit apparel a woman could have. Is godly works that God is using them in a mighty way in that church. That's what he's saying here. The most important adornment is the good works that God is calling these women to do in such a proper and beautiful way that it just causes her to glow of the beauty of God, just shining through her life because of what, how she serves God. We do not and must never underestimate the important place of godly woman playing in the ministry of the church as God directs them to do the work, the good work that God's called them to do. Understand what this is, what the scripture Paul is saying here, that women professing godliness with good works. What would be some of those examples, right? The gospel message, message had a tremendous impact on these women because it was affirming of the values before God. They are of value, even though society said women were not of value. Christianity lifted women up and, and brought them to the equality that God created from the very beginning. But they affirmed their value and their quality and the fact that they were equality and equal within the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And then women had this low position in the Roman world, but the gospel again changed it and look how it all started. If you, and I'll give you some of those examples for you to, to reference out. Because Guess what happened right from the very beginning when we see in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3? We saw devoted women who ministered to Jesus in the days of his early ministry. God used women to be right there by our Lord's side, ministering to his needs for that ministry, right? Then we see they were present at his crucifixion and burial. The women were there, not the men. It was a woman who God said, I'm going to choose you to be the one that goes out and tells the good news to the guys and everybody. She was the person that God says, you to go and tell those men what has happened in the glorious and beautiful news of his resurrection. God used that woman to do that. 
In the book of Acts, we see some very prominent women that God used in the ministry in Acts. Dorcas in Acts 9, Lydia in Acts 16, Priscilla in Acts 18. Godly women in the Berean and Thessalonian churches we saw in Acts 17. Paul welcomed at least eight women in Romans 16 and and Phoebe who carried the Roman epistle letter, right, to the destination and who was a servant of the local church in Romans 16. Uh, Romans 16.1. So God is using many, many, many examples throughout the scripture. God uses women in the church to do God's work. Many believing women won their husbands, we see in the scripture, to the Lord. God uses women to bring men to the Lord. And also, they opened up their homes for Christian ministry. So God has a plan. So don't let listen to teaching that says women are, and as we'll continue in the scriptures here, where you see certain words like silence and submissions and all these things, you need to understand the context and understand the scripture and understand that is not what the world, is, is the definition of how the world defines it, but how God defines it. God uses women in a mighty way within the ministry, ladies. A tremendous value, as here in this congregation, is very evident and clear. Now we see here, as we look at verse 11 and 12, we see that Paul talks about the submission or yielding to church authority, the men who are in charge of the church that God has appointed. And we see here that God has appointed these leaders as men, but he says in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, the translation here, if you know the Greek language here, you know the translation for this word silence is not a very good translation. Because silence means the same word is seen in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and the word is peaceable. So look at your Bibles. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 2. Do you see the word peaceable? That same Greek word is used here by Paul by the word silence. It's the same word. So what Paul is saying here is, is, um, is that the women are to learn in a peaceable way within and keep peace within the congregation as they're listening and learning from the men that God has appointed as church authority of that church. And see, in other places in the New Testament, even the writings of Paul, women are specifically mentioned as praying and speaking in the church, 1 Corinthians 11.5. To learn in silence had the idea that women receiving the teaching of the men God had called to lead in church authority with submission instead of contention. Because what was happening in this time is that it appears that Many times in the culture, men would sit on one side, women would sit on the other side. And as, as they're teaching the word of God, what would happen is women would yell over to the men, their, their husbands, and say, now what does that mean? Or what is, I don't really know if I understand that. And So they would talk in the months as we're teaching the word, there would be, dis, there'd be contentions and they were not peaceable. They were disorderly because women were asking or talking in during the period of time of the teaching. God's design is that if you're married, go talk to your godly husband about the things and if for some reason that, for if, if you, you're still not understanding because your husband's not able to stand it, then God intends for your godly husband to come to the, the pastors to ask or to come with you to bring and to ask these questions. Now I know, I understand, some of you do not have a godly husband and you have questions. It's okay. Come to the pastors. That's what we're for, to ask these questions about doctrinal issues and about the church. That's what we're here to help you with. But we see here that some of these women were abusing this newfound freedom in Christ, and it was creating some kinds of disturbances in the services by interrupting the teaching that was going on. And so Paul says, no, no, just be peaceable. Don't cause contentions. Just listen to understand. And the word submission, 
is not some superior and inferior position like a lot of people think. That's not true. Submission means, a, if you've been in the military, it's a rank of order, meaning there's someone in a position of a higher rank. That doesn't mean that the person of lower rank is somehow inferior. No, they're just not in the position that they're based on their rank. It's not about abilities. Many times, people who are of lower rank has higher abilities and capabilities and skills than someone who is higher ranking. So submission means a ranking or positions in a organization or in, in this case in a church. So that's what he's referring to here is that you, there's an order in the church and don't break that order and it causes confusion or disorderly because it's important to keep that. It certainly does not mean that men are more spiritual than women or that women are inferior to men in any way. That is not what it means. But that's what society, or that's what many times people will try to lean on, that somehow you're to submit in some inferior position. And that's not true scripturally. Now we also see that in verse 12, and I do not permit, these are very strong words Paul uses, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence or be peaceable in regards to receiving the word of God. So here Paul is saying women are not to have the role of teaching of authority in the church. That's why you don't see female pastors in this church because scripturally it says you cannot do that. You cannot have someone who's going to be in authority over men because that is not their role according to God's way. And we will see here, and I'm going to spend some time here on this because I think this is one of the biggest challenges for churches but, and causes division within churches or ladies and not to feel comfortable in understanding their role within churches. So I'm going to give you as much as I can to answer all of the questions that have been proposed to me over the many, many years in the ministry to help you understand the scripture here of what God is saying to us. Women are permitted to teach. It doesn't say that they can't teach. It says women are to teach, but the question is, is when and how do women teach? We know in the scripture that older women should teach the younger women. We see that in Titus 2, verses 3 and 4. We also know that women have an important role of teaching young children who have not come to that age of accountability. Ask Timothy, right? Timothy understood it because his mother and grandmother taught him the word of God and raised him up understanding the word of God. That is the role of the mother in when they were young. But once they come to the age of accountability, once they become an adult... For me, I believe it's once the kids start hitting puberty, then they become adults, and those young men are now under the authority of the men of that church, and they need to be learning from men. Or from their fathers, and of course, in their house. So Paul is, is saying that the church should not place women in a position of those having church authority in the church, but regarding the matters of doctrine and scriptural interpretation. That is held by God to say men that he has called to be pastors, elders, and leadership of the church. It's their responsibility, and he holds them responsible for doing that. God certainly can use godly women to share God's truth privately to a man to encourage him in time of fellowship. But she must not assume authority in the church and take the place of the man in the position of leadership. So many times as you're fellowshipping and all of a sudden you get in this conversation and, and a guy says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how to handle this thing. And God gives you a word, something, a scripture that has helped you or you know it's helped your husband and say, you know, I heard my husband say this scripture. So I want to give that to you because the Lord's putting on my heart to let you know this was a really good encouraging scripture for my husband. Or that is okay. It's part of fellowship. Let God use the gifts that God's given you ladies to be exercised in that capacity. That's not what it says. So don't go overboard and say, I can't talk to any men. That's, 
that's not what the scripture's saying at all. Just understand, you just don't try to get yourself in a position where you're raising up to become a take over the role of leadership within the church. That's where you're going against God. So understand this, the strength of Paul's words here when he says, I do not permit. Why? Because in today's society, since 1960s and 70s, our culture has rejected the idea that there may be different roles for men and women in the home. They've rejected that there's different roles in the professional life that, or in the church. But in the text here, it's referring, and in other texts, not just the other, this one, but another text, the Holy Spirit clearly says there is a difference in their roles and responsibilities between men and women within the church. By culture, it's a very big challenge today. It was a challenge then, and it's still a challenge today to, for us to accept and understand. It's a struggle always happening between men and women. But as a struggle with an issue of authority in general, that's the problem. It's not of clarity of understanding so much as it's the struggle of authority. That's what is dealing with within the church society today. Since the 1960s and 70s, there has been a massive change in the way we see and accept authority as a whole. Let me name a few. Citizens do not have the same respect for government's authority. Do you agree? It's very true. How about students do not have the same respect for teacher's authority? Hello? You just watch the news, you can see that. How about women do not have the same respect for man's authority? Watch the culture. You can see how degrading it can be against a man. How about children do not have the same respect for parental authority? Hello, parents. I would have never talked to my mother, especially my mother. I would have never talked to my mother like I see some people talking to their parents today. Employees do not have the same respect for their employer's authority. Do you agree? People do not have the same respect for police authority. Is that a true statement or not? Well, Christians no longer have the same respect for church authority as well. It's permeating the hearts of people in society today. This rejecting of authority has been absolutely the detriment of homes and societies and of churches. People do not feel safer today because of this change since the 60s and 70s. People are not feeling more safe. They're not feeling more confident in our culture. Television and other entertainment gets worse and worse and worse. In fact, our society is presently, I believe, on a free fall towards complete anarchy. Anarchy is when the state where no authority is accepted. That's anarchy. Here's the statement I believe is the best statement I believe I hear and see what's happening in the culture. And it's the one that says, the only thing that matters is what one wants to do. That's not true. Isn't that not, not true? I don't listen to authority. I just want, to, all that matters to me is I get to do what I want to do. And you can't tell me what I will or will not do. That is what's happening in the culture of people today. It is fair to describe our present moral state as one of anarchy. There is no moral authority in our culture any longer. When it comes to morality, the only thing that matters is what? one does and thinks for themselves. Even, even a civil society, from a civil sense, many neighborhoods in our nation are given over to anarchy. The government's authority is not accepted in gang-infested portions of many cities around the world, around our cities, around our country today. Why? Because the only thing that matters is what one wants to do. And we've watched that played out in Seattle this, this year. We watch it playing out on the days and streets of Chicago every single day. Because there's anarchy that is happening. 
Because absent of God and absent of his authority, it causes anarchy in a society. We must see the broader attack of authority as directed satanic strategy to destroy you, destroy your family, and to destroy our society and millions of individual lives. He is out to divide and conquer and destroy, and that is what we're watching played out on the screens day by day. He is accomplishing two things. Satan is accomplishing two things. If you just watch, and these are the two simplest of things I can say. First, he's causing corruption of authority. Do you know, if you, when you say your FBI is absolutely, uh, absolute, I'm not, even sure, I'm not sure what the word is. So the Lord is not giving me a word, so I'm just going to let it just lay right there. When you have the highest levels of authority of DOJ in the past, and the FBI and all these things in a society, you see that Satan has accomplished in corrupting the authority of that nation. And the second thing he's done is the rejection of authority. He's accomplished getting in the minds of people to reject authority. And we see that played out against our police. Anybody in the position of authority that God has appointed, he is just, they're coming against it. That's Satan's satanic attack within the society to break up the society. And why is that important? Because the idea of authority and submission to authority is extremely important to God. And most people don't make this connection. Why? Because God himself has this order of authority. The first person of the Holy Trinity is called the Father. The second person of the Holy Trinity is called the Son. And inherently, based on those titles, is a relationship of authority and submission to that authority. The Father exercises authority over the Son, and the Son submits to the Father's authority. And this is in the very nature and being of our God. And our failure to exercise authority or exercise biblical authority, and our failure to submit to biblical authority isn't just wrong and sad. It's sin against the very nature of our God. And we see in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, speaks to the same principle. What is that principle? For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft. Rebellion against authority is a form of sin of witchcraft. That's what the scripture says. So Paul here focusing and, and to these men and these women to understand his focus as on public worship within the church. And God has established a clear chain of authority within the church. In both the home and in the church and those spheres only. God has ordained that men are the head of the household and the head of the church. That they have and are held responsible by God himself for that authority and responsibility. These men who are ahead of a household or ahead of a church will be held accountable by God in what and how they treat and how they run their homes and run their churches. So ladies, you have... You have God on your side. So if your men are not having godly homes, you just keep praying for that man because he's in deep trouble with God. If you don't like how things are going within the church, keep praying for the church leadership. Pray for me because I'm going to be held by, accountable by God. You don't have to step in. God is going to deal with me. God can do a far better job on your husband and your pastor than you can, I assure you. But we see here, our culture has rejected the idea of a difference in between the roles of men and women. And now, it gets even more. Now, they reject the idea of any differences between men and women. Men can be women, women can be men. You can define whatever you want to be. I'm not a man, I'm not a woman, I'm whatever I want to be. That is absolutely going against the God completely. You know it's satanic when you get to that level. 
And that's the driving trend in our culture. Points towards men who want to be more like women and women who want to be more like men. In styles and clothes and perfumes and, and all kinds of things are going crazy out there today. But the Bible is just as specific when it comes to this, this, this understanding of, of, of roles and responsibilities between men and women. There is no general submission of women to men, okay ladies? You are not to be submissive to just all men. That is not biblical. The only person, if you're married is the person who you are married. And that's your husband is the only one you're, 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 you're accountable to and with. When you're in a church body, the only guy, man you're accountable or the church authority is the pastors or pastors of that church. Not all men. I know sometimes I hear women say, I'm supposed to be submissive to all men. No, that's not true. And again, it's only in the home and the church, not in the professional world. But we see here that we look at what God has commanded in his word that men have exclusive authority in the areas of the home and the church. Men do not have exclusive authority in the areas of politics, business, or education, or whatever it else. Women can be president, women can be in, uh, CEOs, women can be whatever all, but not in the home, but not in the church. It also does not mean that every woman in the church is under not only the authority of every, of every man, but that, that, that we understand that the failure of men to lead in the home and the church and, and lead and do it God's way, the way the Lord has commanded them to do it, they have an understanding that they're not to come in and to try to upsurp the, the responsibility and the role that God has appointed that man to be. Women are to encourage their men to seek the Lord to, to, in the church and in the homes. To encourage them and pray for them that they would do what God's leading them to do. And that there's peace within the house and not contention. But the failure of men to lead in the home and in the church and in lead the way God has has brought inexcusable chaos within society. And it shouldn't be. Now, some people feel that this recognition or the submission of this church authority uh, is unbearable burden for many. They get in their minds that, are you telling me I have to submit to the leadership, the male leadership of the church or my husband? And you sit there and what comes into your mind is I, I have, I have some inf I'm inferior in some way or I know nothing or I, they think I don't know anything or I can't add any value into that. Or I, I have to recognize the other person to be more superior and I'm inferior to him. That's what it means. But that's not God and that's not the scripture. Because inferiority and superiority has nothing to do with submission. We remember the relationship between God the Father and the God the Son. They are completely equal in their being, are they not? Let me say it again. The Father and the Son are equal in every aspect, correct? But they have different roles when it comes to authority. It's the same design that God has set up in the home and in the church. Some may say the church cannot work or, or they're not going to work well unless we go along with the current culture. And the current culture dictates that women should be in positions of any position within a church. Even the senior pastor or assistant pastor. That's like the rest of the culture. Everyone can be a CEO. Well, go be a CEO. <laughs> if, you want a, if you want a position of power, then go become a CEO. Start your own company. Because you're not going against God's word when you do that. But let me tenderly and let you ladies know, if you think you can become the senior pastor or a pastor, you're going against God's word. That's not my words. It's God's words. And so many times... People think you have to be like the culture and put women into positions of spiritual and doctrinal authority in the church. 
And, and probably from that perspective, that standpoint, it might work for, in our culture. Yet from the standpoint of pleasing God, you're not pleasing God by having those desires. Because it goes against the word of God. And let me warn you, ladies, you somehow can go pick a church that allows women to be in positions of authority over men and teach the doctrinal things, but I assure you, you're not pleasing God because it goes against the word of God. So I give you that gentle warning not to seek after positions that God has not called you to do. Verse 13 and 14, here we find some of the, he give, Paul gives some of the reasons to the ladies here in the, this church of Ephesus, why they cannot be in that positions of church authority. And he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the women being deceived fell into transgression. So the very first reason he says is that, that uh, for male authority in the church is based on the order of creation. Adam, who was man, was created first and given the original authority on the earth. Now, I know what some of you are starting to think, da, 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 but what about Eve? But let me give you the scriptures, okay, so to help you settle this. Go back and read Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and I'll read it for you. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall what? Surely die. So we must remember that this commandment that God told Adam was not given to woman Eve. Why? Because when he gave this commandment to Adam, Eve was not created from Adam at that time. God gave it to man, to Adam. Adam then told Eve and let her know and gave her the commandment, woman, don't touch the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, I can, we cannot touch that tree and I'm now telling you because he just created you from me. I'm telling you, you're not supposed to touch the tree in the middle of the garden. So therefore, Adam received the commandment and the authority from God. And then he communicated that to his wife, Eve. And she was to receive that commandment and authority from Adam. That is the order. And we must keep it in mind that priority does not mean superiority. Man and woman were both created by God and in God's image. So it's not about equality between men and women. We're equal. The issue is authority, and man was created first. The second reason why God has appointed men in the home, but in the church, in the context of the scripture today, the church, and that is the woman being deceived. It's all about man's fall into sin. You know the story, remember, Satan deceived Eve in the garden and caused her to sin. The difference of the sin of Adam and Eve is connected to their difference in the authority position that they find themselves in at that time. Both Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden, correct? Eve clearly sinned first, we know that's in the scriptures, yet the Bible never blames Eve for the fall of the human race. God never blamed her, never held her responsible directly and personally, but always blamed Adam through one man's sin entered the world. We saw that mentioned in Romans chapter 5 and a couple of verses, one of them being 12. Adam is responsible. He had the authority and God held him responsible for his, him and his wife. That Adam is responsible because there was a difference of the authority. Adam had the authority. Eve did not have that authority. Therefore, he also had the responsibility that comes with that authority. Eve did not have that responsibility. Adam failed in his responsibility of the authority that God is holding him accountable for in that garden. Much more significant than what Eve um, held because she did not have that authority. 
Yes, Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived, was he? He listened to his wife. He was coerced by his wife to, to, to go against God. So be very careful, ladies, what you ask your men to do or ask what you ask the men in the church leadership to do. Let your, your husband and let the, the uh, men in, in pastors have time with the Lord to seek the Lord before you demand something to be changed or be done. Because it could be a detriment as we see played out. So in general speaking, it may be observed that women seem to be more spiritual sensitive than men. And that is true. In the ministry, I find that men are much, women are much more sensitive in desiring to seek after God and hear from God and to just want to be in God's, God's perfect will. More than men. But with that spiritual sensitivity comes with a warning to you, ladies, that you could possibly succumb to a spiritual sensitivity, not only but that are true and good, but also for evil. So be very careful in that sensitivity of spirituality as you seek after experiences. Be very careful you don't do that. Because you might think it's good, but it's actually evil. And that's a warning as we see here played out. As Paul says, these are the two reasons why I have appointed, regardless of how you feel, and even some men. Can't the women just take care of it? If you want to raise up my, my hair in the back of my neck, is a man coming to me and say, well, why don't the women just take care of it? Woo, watch out. Him and I are coming to having words. Because that just tells me that man is not a leader. They're not wanting to take the responsibility that God has called him to do. And so I, I just don't tolerate that very well. Because, again, I appoint those who are going to be leaders in this church based on first... If they're men of prayer. And if they're men of prayer, they show up for prayer, they want to pray, I see them praying, this is someone I can use in my leadership. If they're not men of prayer, we'll wait for them to mature and grow because they're still babies. Once they are men of prayer, then I look for those who are having servant hearts, who are willing to take responsibility and do hard things. Who's willing to give up their time, convenience, their entertainments, their pleasures for the sake of the, of sake of the church, the sake of the body of believers. That's the second qualification for someone just to be a leader in this church. And that is what it takes to be a leader in the household, men. That's what it takes. Are you willing up for that challenge? That's the question. Let's finish here with this in verse 15. Now, being a Christian woman, in light of Eve's curse here, <laughs> and let me read it, and then we'll talk about it very, very quickly. Nevertheless, Paul says, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I'm telling you, this has to be, and with many, 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 many commentators, all believe this is probably one of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible to understand. And after praying and praying and, and struggling, this is where I believe my position is and what this verse means. And you can seek the Lord and let the Lord speak to it. There's at least five different views of what this means. I'm just going to give you the simplicity of what the scripture shows me, and that's what I hold on to. So I will share it with you now. Many people struggle with this because it has certain things in here called childbearing if they continue, those key words there, in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. And there's a connotations in each of those. And whatever is coming to your mind, just think it through a few more steps and you will see, I believe, when you come to the conclusion that it goes, that train of thought, what you might be thinking it goes against the scripture. So this is what I believe what it is. From my view, is based on strictly the grammar here in the original Greek language. In the original Greek language, the word here of where it says she will be saved in childbearing means she will be saved in the childbirth. 
That's the original Greek language. And so when we take a look at even though women were deceived, even though she was that catalyst that Satan was able to convince to sin and then convinced her husband and he went against the authority of the position he's in and against God Almighty himself and he sinned with her and both now falling sin and now sin enters human race. Paul now says here, I know it's pretty heavy, ladies. I know it's heavy on you, but nevertheless, you'll be saved through what? Saved in the childbirth. What childbirth? You ladies are going to be used by God. A woman's going to be used by God named Mary to bring about through childbirth the Messiah who will save you. And you will be saved based on faith. That faith, that love, that holiness of living for God. You will, everything will be corrected. Everything will come in order when the Messiah is birthed through a woman. And that's what I believe is saying here. So we don't blame women for the fall of the human race because the Bible doesn't blame the woman. Instead, thank the women for going through and bringing about the Messiah to us through childbearing. That is what we focus on. And he emphasizes at the very end some beautiful godly characteristics, all qualities of God that this woman and the change in the life here that we have in our Messiah coming and being born and us to be able to put our trust and faith in God. There'll be a faith and love and holiness with self-control, which is fruit of the spirit that will come from that woman's womb because of the Messiah being born. So all women will find her greatest satisfaction, I believe, based on this statement. Paul says, your greatest satisfaction, ladies, is not trying to take over the church authority over men, to lord over men or to teach or to, to, to be in charge over men in the church. That, that is not where you're going to find your satisfaction. Your satisfaction is not seeking the male role, but be, being fulfilled in God's design for your life as a wife and mother with all faith, Love and holiness.